You are listening to the Equip Podcast. This weekly course seeks to equip our church, and we pray it can help you as well. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. Epistles are the letters in the New Testament, okay? So once you get past Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts, and all of a sudden there it turns in this area that are what's called epistles, that are letters into the scripture. So uh, as you're going through this, the, the thing to note is that epistles are letters written for specific purposes. So they are a particular uh, letter that are um, going to a specific group of people at a specific time. And so it is essential to determine who wrote the letter, who received it, and why it was sent. Does that make sense? So if it's a letter, we've got to at least know what, what's going on uh, in that letter, or else we're not going to be able to make too much sense of the letter. So as we go, I'll give you the, uh, the, also just to think through it as we look at the organization of the epistles. I used this illustration a few months ago when we started this, but it's worth just doing again just because of what it stands for. So let's just imagine we all go back to middle school for a second, okay? And, um, and, and I, I laugh because nowadays, if, if kids are in school, they, they pass notes through text messages. But how many of you grew up at a time where you actually had to write a note with your pencil, you fold it up, and you pass it to somebody? If you know what I'm talking about, raise your hand. Okay, that's right. That's why we all turned out so good. Okay, so let's just imagine, for example, that there is, uh, we're in middle school, and I see this wonderful young lady named Amanda, and I go, that's the kind of girl I'd like to marry one day right there. She is something special. I would love, love, love to get to know her and whatnot. I decide I'm going to write a letter to this young lady. And, uh, and I, I write the letter down, and it says, Meet me uh, after class behind the gym. All right? T-Dog. Okay. All right. So, um, meet me after class behind the gym, T-Dog. That would make sense if she gets that letter, right? She knows that if I, after class, if me and her meet, I want to talk about our future together, okay, right? But let's just say that I pass that note, and all of a sudden, the big bully in the middle of the room thinks that note is for him, right? And I'm like, no, 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 keep passing it to her. He's like, for me? I'm like, no, 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 not for you, bro. Like, for her, keep passing the note. And he goes, oh, for me. And he opens it up, and it says, meet me after class behind the gym, T-Dog. Does he think I want to talk to him about our future together, okay? No. What does he think we're going to do? We're going to fight, right? Some of y'all come from where I come from. Okay, okay, like, yeah, that, that's what that means. Like, we're going to fight. We're going to work out our differences right there. Now, now, notice this, folks. I wrote one simple sentence. Meet me after class behind the gym. I have a, an author of that letter, right? Here's me, right? Uh, the message is the same. The author is the same. But the recipient changing makes the entire meaning be different, right? Just the recipient, from Amanda to Butch over here, right? Okay, like the, those two people, like it just changes up completely because the same letter goes to this person, it goes to that person. So I say that to go, when Paul writes a letter to the Philippian church or the Galatian church, folks, it's different just based on who's receiving it, right? It's just different. So you got to know when you open up this thing, you're not sure to open up the Bible and point to a verse and say, this is for me. First off, you go, who wrote this? Who did they write it to? What's going on that's important about this? And then we start understanding. So when we think about the organization of these epistles, here's what we, we know, okay? Um, the epistles order is based upon size and author, okay? What does that mean? They're not in chronological order. So if you start at Romans, right? You're not necessarily going to be starting at the very first one as you go through. So the order that they are in your 
table of contents, the order they are in your scriptures, are all based upon size and the author. So how long the book is and who actually wrote that book is where this comes in. So think about it this way. Uh, I'll give you an example. Paul wrote the first group of letters. Okay, you see these here? These are all of Paul's letters. So when we talk about Paul, we talk about these letters that he wrote, right? Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. These are all written by the Apostle Paul, but these are not in the order in which he wrote them. So if you look at it, Romans through 2 Thessalonians are written to groups of people, okay? Groups of people. They're written to a church, a group of people. 1 Timothy, you notice those? Timothy, Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, those are written to people. They're written to a person, okay? So the first group are, are all gauged together on what's called, these are letters to churches, and Romans is first because it's the longest. That's the only reason why it's there first. Um, then it goes on, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, they get smaller as you go down in size. Then you get to what's called the pastoral epistles where Paul is talking to these pastors named Timothy and Titus. And they're in that order because Timothy is longer than Titus. And then you get to a guy by the name of Philemon, which is an interesting letter, and all has to do with a personal kind of conflict that he's addressing. So those are the letters, and that's the order they come in. The next group are all of the letters that are all by size and all by author, and here's what we do and don't know. We really don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. The early church is really unsure of who wrote it, but it's the longest of one of these, and as you read it, it's obviously an incredible book. Um, a lot of people think Paul wrote it, but the reason why it's not in Paul's letters is because if you read the Greek, the original language, this guy talks differently than anybody else in the New Testament. He just writes, you read it in English and go, this, this guy got some vocab. Like, he really does. Okay? Like, he really knows some words and some stuff, and he just writes differently. So you know Hebrews is a little different. James is next. Just so you know, there's a lot of James in the New Testament. This is not James um, the disciple, this is James, the half-brother of Jesus. Okay? Just pretty cool. Because if I was writing a letter to people, and Jesus was my half, and what I mean my half-brother was, Jesus um, was obviously born of Mary, but Joseph was not responsible for that birth. You follow me? So James is the son of Joseph and Mary. So if you were writing a letter and wanted people who love Jesus to read your letter, you know how I would start that letter? James, baby brother of Jesus. Read my letter, right? Okay, that's how we'll start. You know what he says? James, a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how many of y'all, all right, y'all might have a sibling who thinks that you should serve them, right? Okay, but how many of you say, no, I, I, but would you say that? Here's James saying there's something different about him. Then we get to Peter, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, then John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and then Jude, which is also another half-brother of Jesus. So as we look at Jude, here's some things that we also need to note about this. The next section is rules for reading the epistles, okay? So when we come to it, here's what you need to know first and foremost. The epistles are what are called occasional documents. Occasional documents, which are meant, they're documents written for what? An occasion. Y'all so smart. Okay, they're documents written for an occasion. So if we think about it that way, the epistles were written for a particular time. There's something that sparked it, right? The last time that you wrote a letter to somebody, something happened that you felt like, I need to write this, right? I need to put this down in the paper. So these epistles are occasional documents. 
They are written arising out of a need and intended for a specific audience. So something happened. Some type of need took place that Paul or James or John or Peter or one of these guys feels like somebody needs to say something about this. And so they write it. They write it arising out of a need and intended for a specific audience. So with this, um, sometimes the need is something like this. I hear your church has a preacher that's preaching some bad theology. I'm going to fix it. Okay? There's a need that comes up. Sometimes the need is, I hear y'all are mistreating one another, and you aren't treating people who look differently than you the same way in the church, and we're going to fix that. Uh, some of times it is, I hear y'all are letting immorality run around in your church, and nobody's calling sin anymore, and guess what? I will. So it was arisen out of a need, attended for a specific audience as they went forward. Now, epistles are letters, but they are different in that they are an artistic literary genre that was intended for public reading. So, um, they're letters, but they are a different type back in those days or written, intended for public reading. So, imagine this, that the church in Philippi, they get a letter. And they go, oh, guess what? We're all gathered together at Sunday. We're here together because Jesus rose on a Sunday. And we are so excited. We get to read. Paul wrote us a letter. Everybody want to read it? Yeah, let's read it. Okay, and he starts off really good. He's going to finish what he starts. Chapter 1. Oh, that's awesome. Chapter 2. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. Oh, that's great. Chapter 3. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as lost. Oh, that's awesome. Chapter 4. Hey, you two ladies. Y'all are arguing about it. I heard about it. Y'all stop it. You two ladies, I've been told, I'm not even in your city, and I hear that y'all are fussing and fighting like a bunch of old church women, and I'm telling you in the Lord, stop it. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Sunday morning, I go, hey, everybody, Apostle Paul wrote Rocky Creek a letter. I'm going to read it, and everything sounds good to chapter 4, and he calls you out by name. Okay, right? Like this is, this is serious, but it shows how specific and personal these letters are. Um, epistles were not intended to serve as a theological treatise. And what that means is, it's just big language to say this. This was not intended to just like give everything that you needed to know about what this person thought about theology. They do not contain the entirety of an author's theology. So when you look at the letter of Romans, while it's even deep and very, very expansive, it does not contain the entirety of the author's theology. There are going to be certain things that you want to know about Paul he's not going to share, right? Hey, what about this, Paul? Well, it wasn't an issue back then. So he didn't write about it. It wasn't an issue in that church. So guess what? He didn't write about it. Some things he speaks to at a long length. Give you an example. Um, in the book of Philippians, to the letter of the church to Philippi, there is no writing in there about any type of sexual immorality. When he writes the Corinthian church, oh, he spends chapters on it because those people are messed up. Okay, like they messed up. So he goes at it. Why? Because it's an issue. So he's going to speak to that issue. And a typical order of an epistle is a little bit different than what we're typically used to. So if we write a letter, what happens? We put the date on the top right, yeah? and then you say, dear so-and-so, here's the content, and then where do you put your name? The very, very end. The letters in the New Testament time were completely opposite. You start out the letter not with the name of the recipient, but the name of the author. Start out by saying, here's the person who's writing to you. Then you say, here's the recipient. Then you give a greeting. Then you give a prayer, wish, or thanksgiving. And then there's a body of what the letter is all about. And then there's some type of farewell at the end of that letter. 
So let me give you kind of an example of what that would look like. Uh, I want you to turn to the book of Philippians really quick, okay? I got it up here for you, but I want you to see this in your own copy as we go to this. So if it starts a little bit differently, uh, it comes in, and what we see is that he's going to say here, uh, starting out not with who's receiving the letter, but who wrote it. So what is the first word in the book of Philippians? What is it? Paul, Paul okay? So he starts off, and he says, Paul and who? Timothy. Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. So Timothy is there with him, and they are saying, this is who we are. This is servants of Christ Jesus. And then he says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at where? That's why the letter is called Philippians, right? You guys are so smart. Okay, so he starts off, Paul and Timothy are writing this, coming to Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, that's the pastors and the deacons of that church, Here's the grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, kind of blessing. Then look at this. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you. What's the point of the letter? Well, before I tell you what the point of the letter is, I just want to tell you, I love you folks. Man, I'm so thankful for you. And I just got to tell you, it goes even every prayer of mine, every prayer of mine, I'm making my prayer with joy. I just love praying for you. And going on down to verse 12, I want you to know, my brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's just starting out. But you see how the letter is completely kind of uh, opposite of how we would write. Starts out with the name, then goes to who he's writing to, and then says some kind of warm welcome, and then he gets into the point of the letter. Now that's important because sometimes um, you can tell very early on the attitude of the author as they go forward. So as we study the epistles, here's some things that we know. You first off have to know the historical context whenever you read it. So reconstruct the situation to which the author is speaking. <coughs> reconstruct the situation to which the author is speaking. If you can, as you read in the first few paragraphs, there's a good chance you'll be able to determine what's going on that caused this letter to be written. Okay? What caused this letter to be written? As you read. So give you another example. If you turn over uh, a couple pages to the left into the book of Galatians. Okay? Go over to the left in Galatians. When, when Paul starts Galatians, he starts out a little bit different. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from man nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. Now, he starts off here trying to say something, right? First and foremost, I'm an apostle, not because you made me one. Paul, why, why are you being so, I don't know, kind of bold at first? Something's different about this letter. Philippi, I love you. I've been praying for you. Galatia, hey, I'm an apostle, not because you made me one, by the way. So what I'm about to say is under the authority of Jesus Christ, not because any man is telling me what I can and cannot say. Well, Paul, what seems to be wrong, buddy? To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace. That's nice. From God the Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. There you go. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Jesus and are turning to a different gospel. That escalated quickly. Where's the prayers for us and thanksgiving for us and you're so, you miss us so much? I don't have time for all that. We're going to get to the point. He writes these Galatians and comes at them. Look what he says. You're turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one, but there are some 
who trouble you and want to what? Distort the gospel of Christ. All right, now you may have never, ever been to this church in your life, but can you tell something that's going on there? Yeah. Automatically. There's somebody in that church that's distorting the gospel, and Paul's writing a letter to get this thing fixed. Okay? But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be what? Accursed. As we have said before, so now I'll say again, if anyone's preaching a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of who? God. Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please men, I would not have been be called a servant of Christ. And he, he goes through there, and look what he says. Um, go If you continue to go through Galatians 1, there's going to be something that he points out here. He says, there are some people who come alongside you and are making Gentiles become Jewish before they become Christian. And that may sound confusing to you. Let me break it down real quick. Okay, Back in the Jewish mindset, when the Bible was written, there were Jews and there were Gentiles. There was us and there was them. There were our group and everybody else. Jews, Gentiles. Gentiles was a word that was called ethnos, ethnic people, right? Jews and everybody else. So what's happening? Jesus was an ethnic Jewish man. He had Jewish people that were following him initially, right? And then all of a sudden, here comes all these Gentiles who follow Jesus. And the Jewish people go, wait a minute. You got room at the table for them? He's like, oh, yeah, we got plenty of room for all of them. Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. But if they're going to be Christians, they got to be Jewish first, right? No. Because it is by grace through faith, not of works. And so some of the people in the Galatian church, you know what they're saying? Hey, you can't get baptized until you get circumcised. And all the older men said, do what? <laughs> nah. Can you imagine that church membership class? Praise the Lord, we had a great church membership class. There's a lot of people who want to join the church. Hey, by the way, I just want to let you know, before you join the church, we, we, we got a doctor in the back, and we got a surgical procedure awaiting you some men. Some of you are like, I'm going to another church down the road. Okay, that'd be that, that quick, right? This is what these people are saying. Before they can become Christ, before they can become Christians, they've got to be Jewish first. And Paul says, you're deserting the gospel. You're distorting the gospel. You are walking away from this. So is Paul angry? Oh, he's angry. In fact, um, I encourage you to continue to read through Galatians, and you're going to find something that you can't go, I cannot believe a holy man like Paul said, to a bunch of people who wanted men to get circumcised before they ever came to church. You know what he was saying to them? I wish some of those who were troubling you would emasculate themselves. You know what that means? You know what you're wanting to do to everybody else? I just wish that somebody would just kind of be a little bit careless with that knife and just go ahead and just get a little surgical procedure on you as well. Take away your manhood. You know, a pastor wrote that? He wrote it down. Some of y'all go, the Bible's boring. You have not read this book. Okay, you have not read this book. You think that works? And external stuff gets you into heaven? I reject that. Reject it. So you can tell the tone right here, right there. Paul's different, isn't he? Different than he was with Philippi because of what's going on there. So as you read, you make notes of, your, of written clues. You see certain things like this. You notice he goes up, I'm hearing there's people that are among you. So-and-so, this pastor is over doing this. I hear about these ladies that are fighting. I know that you live in a city where this culture is doing this. <coughs> So you make notes of written clues as you go forward. You continue to read, continue to study. There are certain things that come up. What you notice about the recipients, you start looking at the recipients, and you can tell, just like about Paul, 
Are they Jewish people or are they Gentile people? Are they a, a mixture of people? Are they in a major city? Are they a small church? Are they being influenced by the culture? Are they have someone who's just betrayed them? You can tell stuff about even the recipients as you read. You also can tell a whole lot about the author's attitude, as I've already mentioned. There are many times where Paul is coming as a compassionate shepherd, worried about the people. And there's some time as he's coming as a fireball, ready to take somebody out. He says. And you go, that, that sounds harsh. If you, if you look at the life of Jesus, you realize this. Jesus was the most harsh with the religious people who thought they were all together. And the most compassionate to the broken people of this world who had no one to show them the way. It's just reality, right? And so we see this through the life of Christ, through the work of these epistles as well. We also know this. We need to look for anything mentioned to this specific occasion of the letter. Certain things that we mentioned in Galatians tell us about it. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is another great example. It, it speaks very clearly. This church has really messed up. He says, As you wrote me, you go, what, 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 there's a clue right there, okay? So, Apparently, the Corinthian church wrote a letter to Paul before he ever wrote a letter to them, and they had some questions. Paul, we got some problems going on. He says, so as you wrote in your letter to me, and you asked me this question, should we not get married at all or involve ourselves in any type of um, physical relationships with somebody else because of look at all the damage it's doing in our church. Look what immorality is doing in our church. Look what immorality is doing in our city. So should we just... Should we just not get married, not enjoy the gifts of marriage? Should we just move on from that at all? He goes, so you wrote me the question. I'm about to give you an answer. You know what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7? Nope. You need to get married and do it God's way. You got desires? Do it God's way. Okay, okay, what, do you, what do you mean, Paul? Paul goes, I'm single. I feel like the Lord has called me to singleness. He goes, if you're called to be single, then stay single. And some of you go, I did not get that calling, Lord. Okay, I did not get that calling. I have desires to have companion. I have desires to be able to experience all the blessings that marriage provides. You go, okay, just don't shortchange it and do it the right way. Get married, stay focused, stay on one person, and do things God's ways, and you will reap God's benefits. And so first chapter, chapter 7 is all about this. So if you have a desire to, to be able to enjoy all the blessings of marriage, then get married. Stay married, stay focused, and stay committed to the Lord in this. You wrote me a question? I'm going to write you an answer to it. And this is what you see about in the occasion of the letter. As you continue to see, you'll also take note of the epistle's natural, logical divisions. You'll notice certain things that sometimes as you're reading, that maybe you wouldn't have picked out on, but take Ephesians, for example. Ephesians um, has six chapters. The first three chapters are all deep theological stuff. Here's who you are in Christ. Here's all the blessings of Christ. Here's what salvation looks like. Then chapter 4, verse 1 says this. You ready for the word? Therefore. Therefore what? Chapters 1 through 3, therefore, right? Seminary professors, every single one always makes this comment. All right, young men and young women, if you're studying the Bible and you read a therefore, you need to know what it's there for. Isn't that, that humorous? But it's true, right, okay? It's a cheesy dad joke, but it's true. Whenever we, we, we pick up something, I'll give you another example. Romans chapter 12. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. Well, what is he talking about therefore? He's talking about the first 11 chapters of Romans. Therefore, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Walk in a manner worthy of God. What, what's the therefore? 
For three chapters, he's been telling you who you are. The next three chapters, he said, now live like who you, you know who you are. I've been telling you who your identity is. Now here's your activity. So the logical, logical breaks. Ephesians 1 through 3, all theological, our identity in Christ. Chapters 4 through 6, now here's how it's fleshed out in your home. Here's how it's fleshed out in your, your marriage, in your parenting, in the way that you deal with work and all these kind of things. And it breaks down, you see this as you go. Uh, you also notice the literary context as you go, as you study through, as it's literature, right? As it's put together, you notice how it's put together. You trace the author's argument. What are the things that he's trying to say because... Folks, I know this is against popular understanding of how the scripture is put together. But the Bible is not a collection of fortune cookie wise sayings. Okay? We quote verses like that and just sort of take bits and pieces out. But you need to know the weight of where those things come from. It's just this incredible way to make sure you're tracing the author's argument as you go through out scripture. You also must begin to think paragraphs, folks. I know that sounds really exciting, right? <clears throat> but it's so important to begin to think paragraphs versus just singular, singular verses. I mentioned a few months ago in this class that when we look at it, that chapters and verses were not added until many, many years later than when the scripture was written. So when you look at, take example, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. There was never a chapter 2 or a chapter 10 when it was written. It was a letter, right? How many of you, the last time you wrote a letter, somebody had chapters and verses in it, right? You, you, don't, you don't write that way. Why do we do that? Because we have to find places that are easier path that's good, but we miss something. We miss how to think paragraphs as we read. So give you this example. This is Philippians chapter 4. Uh, and I want you to turn there if you've got it in your Bible because I want you to see something because different Bible translations will do things a little bit differently. And this is important. Um, give you a great example. Um, when I was in college, I read a lot of the New American Standard translation, which I love the New American Standard, but in most copies of the New American Standard, every verse looks like a new paragraph. Every verse is indented. Every verse is indented, and you can't see where a paragraph is. You know, is that important? Well, what did your English teacher say when you were writing papers back in school, right? It's important that you think paragraphs, right? That there should be a, a kind of grouping of thought. So with this, let me tell you where the most dangerous place in all of Scripture is. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, right? This is what is said when any time an athlete is about to lose the game. Anytime a student who has not studied all semester and is praying and putting a Hail Mary out there on that, that test, right? Anytime there's some kind of obstacle in your life and you don't know if you can do, we say this, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, through Christ who strengthens me, right? What do you notice about verse 13? In your Bible, do you see a paragraph around that, the way it's done? Where does that paragraph start for you in your Bible? Verse 10, you all see that? 10 through 13 kind of there together? Good, okay? If you don't see that, you might see something like before verse 10, there might be kind of a bold indent mark in your Bible translation. Some Bible translations have each verse separate, but there's like a bold kind of mark it's saying, here's a new paragraph, but you've got to be watching for it. Why? Because I don't think you understand verse 13 unless you understand verses 10 through 12. No way. Okay? Typically, we think of verse 13, I can do whatever I want to do. Why? Because Jesus strengthens me. 
I just want to tell everybody here, you cannot do anything that you want to do because Christ strengthens you. You know why? Because some of the stuff we want to do, Christ is not going to strengthen you for because he's not for it. Okay? So you can't, it's not just a blank check. I do whatever I want because Christ strengthens me. Now, sometimes he's going to weaken you because you're trying to do stuff against him rather than for him. So what is he saying here? Um, let's, let's trace, make sure we understand what's going on in the author, right? Does anybody know where the Apostle Paul was when he wrote the uh, letter to the Philippian church? It's in prison, okay? Now, if you have ever spent time visiting prison or spending some time there on your own, you know this. It is not the most preferred destination of most people in this world, right? It's not where you want to spend time. Not something you want to spend a lot of time in, a lot of stress, a lot of drama, a lot of uncertainties, a lot of fear. And this is where Paul is when he's writing the letter. So for him to say, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, it's a Muslim mentality like, well, if you can do all things through him who strengthens me, why aren't you out, Paul? Why are you still in prison? You know? Because this is the dangerous that there's a lot of theology that's going out there today that basically says this. All right, folks, you just name whatever you want and God's got to give it to you. Right? Healthy, wealthy, prosperous. Except you go, but why was Paul still in prison? Why was Jesus put on the cross? Because I can't think of two better people in the world, right? Jesus being perfect, Paul being pretty decent. And yet, here he is in prison. So if you're in prison, you're praying for deliverance, right? I'd be. Lord, get me out. Look at, let's, let's think paragraphs here to make sure we get it. Verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no what? Opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be. What's that word? Content. Let's just stop there for a second. Paul, you in prison. You cannot be content in prison. And Paul would say, if you cannot be content in prison, you cannot be content anywhere. Because contentment is a matter of the mind and the heart rather than your situation and circumstances. I know how to be brought what? Low, and I know how to abound. All right? So he's saying, I know good days and no bad days. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Stop there for a second. Anybody here ever had more than what you needed in your life? You ever had that meal where you thought, I just think I just hurt myself, right? Okay. You've had plenty. It's wonderful days, right? Some of us are about to enjoy a meal. We're going to have plenty, okay? Going to have plenty. You ever had a moment where you've been in need? I don't even know where that next bill is going to come from. I don't know if that next paycheck is going to be here. And you know what it's like. Um, simple question would you rather be in plenty or in hunger anybody here which one would you rather be give me plenty Lord right let's not be spiritual I'd be at hunger no you wouldn't you'd be plenty okay give me everything I need right <coughs> Paul says I've been in both situations and guess what I've learned to be content in both of them anybody ever had an abundance in their life Woo-wee. paycheck coming in good Got all the stuff I want in my life. My yard looks better than my neighbor. Car looks better than my brother's. All the stuff I've got, I mean, just all together. Oh, it's so nice. Have you ever been in need before? 
Everybody in need. Everybody in that situation thinking, goodness gracious, I don't, I don't know. We're going to make it. Everybody in a situation where someone, they weren't esteeming your clothing, but they were making fun of your clothing. <laughs> Shoes that you wore. Stuff that you had on, right? He says, um, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, the weight of that verse should hopefully just transform the way that we look at it. Because typically we think, I can do whatever I want to. Why? Because Christ is going to strengthen me and change my situation. That's not what that paragraph teaches us. That paragraph says, if I'm starving, I'll make it. Why? Because Christ strengthens me. And if I've got more food than I know what to do with, I'm going to continue to go forward. Why? Because Christ strengthens me. If I am poor as poor can be, I will make it. Why? Because Christ strengthens me. If I've got money that is flowing down and blessing me, I can do all things. Why? Because Christ strengthens me. In any and every circumstance, I have learned this secret. You can be content. Why? Because Christ will strengthen you. You know why it's so important? Because if we wait around to the moment that all those circumstances fall in our favor to get happy and content, they'll never come. Never come. And so the ability, the necessity of thinking paragraphs is so very important. Now when you, you read, you can acknowledge difficulties as you go. There are going to be certain things that you read that are challenging to understand. Certain things that don't make sense, that's completely fine. This is where you address it. You realize that maybe the Bible is causing you to look a little bit deeper. The texts are sometimes challenging to understand because they simply were not written to us. So there's certain things that we just don't get. What are you talking about over here in this situation, Paul? Well, he's saying, guess what? I didn't write that to you specifically. Not first, anyway. You're second-hand generation, so you may not understand all those things in the text, and that's, that's completely fine. Even if you are uncertain about specific details, the whole passage's plain meaning is usually still within grasp. There's not a place... <coughs> I think in Scripture, but especially the epistles, that if you read the entire thing, you couldn't get the big idea out of it. You might miss some details, but you're going to get the big picture. You'll understand it. You know exactly what you need to do. So you keep going forward. In difficult situations, get some good help. Notice I said get some good help. Don't just Google it, okay? Anybody can write an answer on anything. Folks, there's some crazy stuff out there, okay? So look for some good help. Find a good study Bible or sorts that can help you out as you're going through. Hermeneutical reminders, know this. The text cannot mean what it never meant. I'll say that again. We've said that many times in this course. The text cannot mean what it never meant. Before we ever, ever, ever understand what it means to us, we first need to know what did it mean to the first people who ever read, uh, opened up that letter and read it. Let's start there. Know that we are searching for authorial intent what did the author intend it to mean? What has he tried to get across to us so that we can understand the truth of that word? We want to know what was the intent of that author. Know that in most cases, a clear principle has been articulated that transcends historical particularity. That means those little things that kind of make it unique. We can understand and apply it. Even if there's certain things we go culturally, that doesn't make sense. I wasn't in the room when that first was mentioned. You can get the big picture out that you need to. And some guidelines just to wrap up. Here's what you need to know. Distinguish between the essentials and the non-essentials of the writings. All of it's important, but there are some things that if you get into little microscopic details, you're going to lose the big picture because you get caught up in it. And I think some people like to do that. You get caught up in all these un uncertain things. Distinguish between what's essential and non-essential of the writings. 
distinguish between what is moral and what is immoral. These letters will tell us how to live in Christ. They will tell you, this is right, this is wrong. This is good, this is evil. Stay in these lanes to know exactly what Scripture wants us to know. And don't expect the epistles to answer questions that have not been asked yet. There are certain things that we wrestle with in 2021 in the United States of America. We want Scripture to teach us, but they had simply just have not been answered yet. So when you read, I want to even encourage you, folks, we look for those kind of hot topic verse, but there's actually stuff even at the end that's important. I want to wrap up with um, showing you a um, character in the Bible that's only mentioned three times. He's mentioned in the epistles. And most likely, a lot of you in this room have never heard his name. Okay, He's not one of the top Bible guys, but he's one of the most intriguing stories. His name is Demas. How many of you have ever heard of Demas before? Okay, a few of you heard of Demas. Okay, Let me read you the three times that Demas is mentioned. And he's always mentioned at the end of one of Paul's epistles or letters. Okay, Here's the first time. Paul is writing to the Colossian church here. You see this? Colossian church. He says... Luke, the beloved physician, uh, do you know of a book that Dr. Luke wrote, anybody? Luke and Acts, right? Okay. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. So this means that Paul is writing this, and Paul is rolling with two guys, Luke and Demas. So you don't know much about Demas, but is, it, is Demas a pretty good company? This guy, I mean, this is a pretty important guy, right? So he's writing this church to Colossians said, let me tell you something. Luke's with me and Demas is with me. Like, oh man, you got Luke and Demas? That, that sounds awesome, right? Second time, Philemon chapter 1, verses 23 through 24. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. So what does that mean? Paul is where now? Prison. He's in prison for doing the right thing. In Christ Jesus sends greetings to you as do Mark, Aristarchus, something like that. And who? Demas. Demas. And Luke, my fellow what? Wow, if you're ever going to have something said about you to say, like, you're a fellow worker with Paul, you're in there riding with him in prison, what does that show about Demas? This man is committed to the end, right? Man, he's, he's in there with Paul, even in the prison cell. This is a man that we want to emulate. And we get to the last letter that we believe that Paul wrote was the letter of 2 Timothy, the third time that Demas is mentioned. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love for this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Now, I show this example to you is that here's a man who just mentioned in just the final words of three letters. We know no story about him, but do we know something about Demas? Oh, yeah. We know a lot. Here's a man who used to be mentioned among Paul and Luke who would stay with Paul in the prison to go to the ministry and at one point walked away with it because he loved the present world too much. So not only these individual letters have a lot, there's a lot of interconnection stuff going on that you start reading and say, don't skip over even these parts, folks. Why is this important? Because nowhere in Paul's writings do I ever know that he says anything like this. Don't desert the faith and, and, uh, and, and love the present world too much. But let me tell you something. That example right there haunts me. It haunts me. I don't want to think, because you know what? Um, at some point, Demas was doing the type of job I do. My voice is literally about shot today because I have been sharing my heart out as much as I can today, try to point people to Jesus, and Demas was in that category. And you know what? At the end of Paul's life, Demas had left him because he loved the stuff of this world way too much. He left Jesus. So even in these concluding remarks, folks, there are lessons to be learned. Don't skip it. 
because God's truth is there for us to understand and apply to our own lives. So, Father, we ask that tonight, as we unpack your word, allow us to know the truth of it, to be able to apply it into our lives and be changed as a result of it. God, help us not to be like Demas. Love this present world so much that we desert the work that you're doing and continue to allow us to know your word and truth ever so more every day. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Equip Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast and get weekly courses delivered to you. We hope to equip you for the work of the ministry.